1: Episode 163 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. These truths should be self-evident. Let's start the show.
2: We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity.
0: You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time
1: Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hahn. Thank you for liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing, and telling your friends about this podcast. Left the full version of the intro. I haven't used that in about, about a year, really. I, uh, I cut it down because I was told, uh, shorten your intro. Get right to the podcast. But it was the 4th of July on Monday. I felt like putting in some good presidential quotes that I really enjoyed, and this is why I picked those. When we began this podcast, oh my God, uh, in 2019, we've been doing this for three, over three years. So welcome to the show. I got a great guest today, Jill Weinbank. She's going to talk to me about uh, the January 6th committee. She's going to talk about uh, what happened to the Supreme Court last week, which, you know, we've already talked about to some extent on this podcast. It's, it's really pitiful the way they have behaved, even some of the decisions that they've come down with since then. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned on this show or my other show their decision about the coach kneeling at in prayer after the game. First of all, let me just point this out to the coach in case he's listening. Uh, I've read the Bible, and Jesus said in Matthew not to make a show of your religion among men. What that coach is doing, it's not really prayer; it's show business. It's him showing everybody in the town what a great Christian he is. My advice to people who don't like this guy, just dig into his uh, background, find out what he's really doing with his life, because nobody who needs to make that big of a show is truly a man of faith. That's just the way I see it. I think people who are men of faith and women of faith, they don't really wear it on their sleeves, and, and that's that's what the Bible tells us to do, and again, I'm not the biggest Christian. I'm not really, uh, you know, I don't, I don't go to church anymore, I I'm I'm not a person of faith, I would say. I, I do believe in God. I just think that, you know, religion was created by man to try to explain things they can't explain and also to try to control. And um, so I, I'm not the biggest person of faith, but I have read the Bible. Unlike that coach and unlike the Supreme Court justices who feel that that's something that should be included in a public school, uh, you know, allowing this guy. Look, I was an athlete in college and in high school, and my daughter's an athlete now. And if the coach is praying at the middle of the field after the game and you want to start, you better kneel next to him. That's the message that's being sent there. So don't tell me that the Supreme Court was right and that this guy's just doing it on his own time and it's not like some sort of public acceptance of prayer. No, he's using his job to show people how religious he is. And also it will encourage the kids to kneel with him so they can get more playing time. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. They are wrong. This conservative majority is going to take this country back to the 18th century, which is something we do not need in America right now. We need to move forward. We need to keep pressing on. So, you know, look, it is what it is. It's where we are right now. We live in a country where you can't even go to a 4th of July parade without being shot at. Yes, mass shooting in Illinois uh, on on the 4th of July during a celebration, during a parade. You know, but we can't have, you know, but but New York can't have a concealed carry permit rule, right? That's what the Supreme Court's going to say about guns. Time for Congress to take back its authority and exert its supremacy in our government and start legislating some things that make this country safer, that put up a real wall between church and state, and that, of course, gives a woman a right to choose It is beyond me how far to the right this court is and how bizarre it's going to take. But what a bizarre direction it's going to take this country in. So, you know, God help us all. Well, uh, I've got a great guest. I don't want to waste any time before I get to her. And, of course, it is the 4th of July while I'm recording this. So, uh, But I wanted to put this up. I I talked to Jill last Thursday on my radio show. She's fantastic. You know she was a special prosecutor during Watergate. You see her on MSNBC all the time. She's one of the great analysts of the intersection between politics and law that there is working uh, in this country because, quite frankly, she's lived it. She lived through Watergate. She was very intimately involved with it as a young attorney. She... uh, You know, has a lot to say uh, about uh, Roe v. Wade. So listen to this
0: interview, and then I'll be back with Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or.
1: Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you. What do we have here, doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help Steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. <laughs> So as I said, I've got a great guest tonight. Jill Weinbanks is a former special prosecutor during the Watergate investigation. You see her on MSNBC. She is one of the best gets there is right now, given all that's going on between the January 6th committee and the Supreme Court. Jill, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. It has been a very busy couple of
1: weeks. I've been watching you on TV almost every day. Um, I find you uh, have the most insight of anybody because, quite frankly, you lived through Watergate. You were right there in the middle of it. You were an investigator and a prosecutor during those times, uh, very early in your legal career. Uh, I'm watching these January 6th committee hearings, which have not disappointed. They have met expectations, including exceeded. exceeded. Yeah, I, yeah, they've definitely exceeded. And I was concerned when I heard Cassidy Hutchinson would be the star witness on the special session that they had earlier this week. But she sure as heck delivered. I mean, give me your impressions.
2: I was very impressed with her. I found her testimony to be delivered in a very credible way. She was calm and mature, well beyond her years. Um, When I think about her and being the quiet person in the room who observed everything Mm. and understood the importance of everything, I saw her referring to notes, if you paid attention, It looked like she might have had a diary or something in front of her, which I'm sure was very helpful to refreshing her recollection. This was during her filmed deposition, not at the testimony for the committee. Um, She just seemed to be very well prepared. And, you know, John Dean was 34, maybe, when he testified. And he had an incredible memory, incredible insight. And the difference is she did nothing illegal. John Dean did. Yeah. So she's like the most perfect witness a prosecutor could ever have. She saw everything. She's like the innocent victim who is in the bank when the robbers come in and can identify them and testify against them. Yeah, yeah. And, Not and, one of the co-conspirators. And so that, that made her really credible. And, of course, she's the one that the Trumpers are now trying to undermine. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know
1: what they think they're going to do to undermine her. You know, I mean, I it is all they're really doing is what they would do to any other woman, denigrating them for a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with what they said. Uh, and it's just disgusting to me. And it, it shows who they are. And I think that digs the hole even deeper for these guys.
2: It does. and And as you point out, the things they're attacking are not the thrust of her or the important center of her testimony. The importance of her testimony goes, first of all, beyond the episode in the SUV. But whether he grabbed the steering wheel or lunged at anybody, he being the former president, is irrelevant to whether he was trying to get to the Capitol to be part of an armed mob that he knew was well-armed and dangerous. Yeah. And that part they're not disputing.
1: Let them in. They're not here to hurt me. Something she heard firsthand.
2: Yes, Yes, that's is that's the most, not even in dispute because that's she heard. Yeah. Something she was told. You're right. That's very important. It's, I don't care about those other people. They're not going to hurt me. Let them in.
1: Yeah, let them in so that they can march to the Capitol fully armed after the after my rally. Exactly. I want so, the shot, and then I want them to march with their guns and their knives and their pepper spray down to the Capitol. I, I, I thought she was poised. I thought she was brave. And I think that if I'm like Pat Cipollone or even you know, Vice President Pence or Mark Meadows or somebody of those natures who have been cowards to this point. I think that she really shows them up.
2: And it's time for the committee to use its inherent contempt powers and to get them in there without further delay. It's time for the Department of Justice to have these people in to testify. Um, And that includes Mark Meadows as well as Pat Cipollone and possibly Vice President Pence. I mean, I think these are key players in a really serious threat to our democracy and to our criminal system. Yeah, I, mean, I don't can commit crimes and just walk away. Right. So or know about them, and particularly for Pat Sciblioni, his ethical obligations as yeah. a lawyer.
1: I mean, he's a lawyer. Shouldn't we as lawyers be filing ethics complaints against him at this point? I mean, I I don't understand how a guy who is a member of the bar as we are will just abdicate his commitment to truth and the law
2: exactly exactly um, it's it is something that I have been looking at just recently um, in terms of what are the ethical requirements for lawyers in situations where you have uh, a client who is and this client relationship is a little trickier when you're the White House counsel because you are the White House counsel. Right. You are the counsel to the office of the presidency. You are not the lawyer for the president. Right.
1: The lawyer for the president's name was Rudy Giuliani.
2: Yes, unfortunately (laughs) it was. Right, right, right. But, you know, other than making truthful statements, which, of course, we know Rudy Giuliani has been disbarred because of making untruthful statements to the court, but it goes beyond making it to the court. And failing to disclose material facts when disclosure is necessary to avoid assisting a criminal, in even if the crime is being committed by a client, uh, is something that we are obligated to do. And I know it's tricky to look at attorney-client privilege and whether you have to disclose something. So I think that there's a chance that Pat Cipollone may be on the edge here and that it's time for him to be looking at his ethical obligations and whether it's now time for him to follow the rules of ethics that say that he may disclose certain things if it's necessary to prevent the continuing commission of a crime. And I would say that there is a continuing commission of oh, a crime that oh, absolutely. He knows about.
1: I mean they are they are traveling the country yes. uh promoting the big lie, working people up around the country. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, look, it's clearly failing. I mean, if you look at the polls the last couple of days, even if you look at like the state polls, you look at like Herschel Walker dropped like 14 points in the last month. Oh, <laughs> his, really? That's, yeah. that's- I, I, he's losing in the Quinnipiac poll now by, I think, eight or nine points where he had been up uh, for in most polling. Uh, and I think that's a direct result of, well, I think it's a direct result of people actually looking into who Herschel Walker really is. I think it
2: may be more that than...
1: <laughs> and there's some of the Trump stuff. You know, and you, you see 20% of Republicans now saying he should be indicted. Not alone, not only are they saying he shouldn't be the nominee, they're saying he should face charges.
2: Right. Exactly. 60% of the country thinks that. Yes. Including, as you said, 20% of Republicans.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's time uh, It's time for him to face charges. And, I, and look, I was never one of those people who thought he'd ever face charges.
2: This may be a good thing in the sense that um, if the Department of Justice was debating not could they indict because the criminal elements have been satisfied and are quite clear, but should they? Is it good for the country? Now, with the country backing it, maybe they would have to answer, yes, we should. Yeah. That it would be a disservice to democracy not to do it. And so that letting this information come out through the January 6th committee and letting the American people see it firsthand so that they have not only will they vote in accordance with it so that he loses his power completely, but it may be support for taking the kind of accountability actions that need to be taken.
1: You would think that Pat Cipollone would come forward. I mean, he has been portrayed actually kind of in a good light by most most witnesses. They've, they've said the guy was basically telling the president, no, 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 no. And yeah. you, you'd think he'd want to come forward and say, yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't have to necessarily talk about his direct conversations and legal advice to the president, but there are a lot of other things he can discuss, uh, particularly the president's criminal intent.
2: Well, especially if his legal advice was, don't do it, it's illegal, he's in a good position to testify to that. And... And um, I think under the rules of ethics, he absolutely has not partly an obligation and certainly permission yes. to reveal those conversations.
1: Yes. And I would also think that the privilege is not necessarily Donald Trump's. It is the office of the president. It and is, that could and, be waived. Also,
2: as I said, attorney-client. The client is not the president. Right. Right.
1: Jill Weinbanks, she's got a couple podcasts. She's got one called Sisters-in-Law and one called Generale- Generational Pol- Politics, right? Is it- it's called I-Gen Politics. iGenPolitics. Politics, and they're mm-hmm. available wherever Generational
2: you- Politics, and the other is Hashtag
1: Sisters-in-Law. Hashtag Sisters-in-Law. There you go. I always forget the hashtag. I'm a Gen Xer. You know, we're not quite right. down with it. So I'm back with Jill. Jill, so where does this January 6th committee go from here you know, I guess Pat Cipollone is obviously the next step. You want to hear from the from the Secret Service detail to find out if the you know they were assaulted by the former president of the United States. I think, I think they're just just pouring, you know, pouring dirt on his political grave, so to speak, in a lot of ways on that.
2: I think you've identified some good witnesses. I would say uh, Vice President Pence would be an interesting witness. I would say that. Um, Mark Meadows, of course, I think you mentioned him already, yeah a good witness, and um, there may be others that we don 't even know about. They say they have much more evidence about witness tampering, yeah, I certainly would like to hear about that, but I also want them to make sure that the Department of Justice hears about that and um, you know proceeds to take action because there's nothing more ser- well yes, threatening democracy is more serious, but among those things ruining the de- the system of justice by tampering with witnesses is right up there with really bad crimes.
1: Yeah. I, I you know and and it seems that it's ongoing. It seems yeah. like he's tampering. I mean based on what Liz Cheney said at the end of the last hearing, it seems like this is actually happening still.
2: Exactly. And Liz Cheney is being very outspoken saying you cannot support the constitution and Donald Trump. You yeah. Choose. Yeah. And yeah. I choose for sure, the Constitution. And I think most Americans will choose the
1: Constitution. And, and I think there's got to be more Liz Cheney's. And, I, and I'm worried that she's going to lose her primary in Wyoming. Um, maybe now she run-
2: talk, she might be running for president.
1: Well, maybe she should, uh, yeah. you know, especially if that guy's going to run. Uh, it's it's a, it's a you know, they, 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 you need... Look, I don't agree with her politics on most occasions, but I don't think she's out to destroy the country either. I think that she has a different view of what direction and the priorities of this country should be than me, but she's still a good American. And she's standing up for uh, on principle here at much personal expense to a point where you don't really see any other Republicans in the country making the same kind of stand as she is at the same price. You're seeing a lot of retired Republicans, people who are not running for re-election, but not a lot of people like her. You know, you got her, you got Mitt Romney, and that's about it.
2: It's very interesting. And um, Victor Shee, who is my co-host of iGen Politics and I interviewed David Gergen today mm. or which will be released next week and he was talking about his new book about leadership and one of the first priorities for leaders he said is character. And so while I totally disagree with all the policies of Liz Cheney she does have character. Yes. And that is something that Donald Trump does not have. No. And that Richard Nixon didn't have. They right. have that in common. So uh, you know, on, on leadership, I would feel much better that she's acting out of her real policy uh, beliefs, not out of trying to just get power by any means possible. Cheating is okay to Donald Trump. It isn't to Liz Trump. Yeah, and,
1: and it's disgusting to watch people like Kevin McCarthy, who knew better on January 6th. I mean, even in the testimony that we saw this week, and you know, he knew better on January 6th about this man and even in the days immediately following it but he has made a 180 just to try and I, and I think he will not ever become Speaker of the house but just to try to get that, that that bigger office it's it's sickening
2: it is I agree completely and we have to hope that the younger voters are motivated by what they're seeing uh, both in terms of this and in terms of the Supreme Court that they will get out and vote and make sure that the majority in the House is Democratic, so that we don't have a Speaker McCarthy. Yeah, because that would be someone who has no character,
1: no character, no courage, right? No ability to do you know, no moral compass. Let's be let's be clear. Yeah, his moral exactly. compass is corrupted totally by the search for more power. Exactly, and, and we can't have people like that in the Speaker's chair for sure. Exactly. Uh, you know, one you know, before we go to break here. Mike Pence, you know, the man is clearly He thinks that he can't testify, he can't come forward because, you know, Donald Trump will end his career. Donald Trump's already ended his career. Donald Trump, he's never going to be a Republican nominee for president. That's That ship has sailed. But he does have a chance to redeem himself as an American. What do you think, you know, like, do you think there's any chance this man comes forward and just does the right thing and tells what he knows?
0: I I
2: don't have any insight into pence um i just have seen four years of him um more than that because we saw him campaigning so you know from campaigning on as someone who was kowtowing to the bad behavior of a man who clearly is the opposite of what his personal religious beliefs are Absolutely. in terms of character and yep. the, the the affairs that the man had the the lies that he tells and how somebody who was threatened with his life being at stake could still support and not speak out and protect us. Why he didn't invoke the 25th Amendment, I don't know. I, I will never understand mm. how Donald Trump gets people to follow him. I, I, it just doesn't. I mean,
1: there was this minute where they probably could have gotten him out that way. They maybe could have even impeached him that night, frankly. Yes. Um, And I I, I don't understand why they waited so long. Honestly, they should have been drafting those impeachment articles while they were counting the votes that night. Um, And they should have introduced it and sent it to the Senate, woke up the Supreme Court Chief Justice and gone. All right, Jill, I'm going to
2: take. Very interesting. And truly, that is an interesting thought is if in the heat of the moment everyone had acted, would the Republicans have had the courage to say not guilty, which is what they had. Yeah. not a question of saying not impeachable
1: I don't think they would have frankly Jill the Supreme Court is out of control Uh, the choice issue is the tip of the iceberg they basically are begging the states to send them other rights to take away like marriage equality like birth control I think Uh, they they are out of control Um, where does it end? it ends
2: with the Court either being enlarged or with um, term limits, otherwise this court will be in charge of our rights for the next several decades, mm. at the very least because the six conservatives are in their young years and can serve at least another twenty years yeah. be longer yeah so it's very concerning um, you know. Amy Coney Barrett could serve for another 30 years. Yeah. And they are out of control in terms of what I think the Constitution says. And they are results oriented. We'll figure out a way to justify whatever it is we want the outcome to be. And they are taking away rights left and right and things that I care deeply about. I also think it could end if we did, got Congress to be active again, and to pass things things like either a national uh, abortion rights law, the Equal Rights Amendment, Mm -hmm. so that women were fully included in the Constitution in a way that they could not be discriminated against. And I know they went out of their way to say this is not that in Dobbs. It is that.
1: Now, you were a young lawyer when Roe was originally working his way through the courts. And you were working in government, so I'm sure you were very close to this and you knew what was going on here. Um, I feel like the decision was just so backwards, having read it, you know, particularly trying to to link it to norms and traditions from 18th century America. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, you know, the day before they allow concealed carry in New York State, well, concealed carry in 1789 meant you had a three-foot musket that had one shot in it in your belt, and you couldn't conceal it. So the founders didn't really want concealed carry. Uh, so, you know, what are we talking about here? They, You're right. They find the solution they want. They're very legislative in the way they do things. And it, it, it's ridiculous. But, you know, just tell me how you felt. You know, let's just talk a little bit about your history with, with Roe and, and how you felt, you know, watching it develop and now watching it gone.
2: Well, first, let me say, I am so glad you made the comparison that you made, which is Concealed carry in the same era meant a musket that would take you five minutes to load a second time. Right. You couldn't do much damage.
1: And it was big. It was a big big thing.
2: Exactly. And yet they are willing to say, yeah, well, it's different in case of abortion. There the history is different. It isn't. You either go with the history on both or you don't go with the history on both. Right. And you can't go with the history because back then women weren't even in the Constitution. Women did not have the right to vote. They were not full citizens. Right. And so you cannot treat that history as guiding current affairs. Mm. And it's it's obscene. Um, I campaigned for the Equal Rights Amendment for many years. I, I was with. Um, Ann Richardson, who was the governor of Texas in 1976 at the Democratic Convention going around to state delegations urging the passage of this. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, it didn't pass. There's a possibility that it could be resurrected now. I hope that it is, because the need for it has become even more apparent. I also... um, I was the first Solicitor General of the state of Illinois, and when I was offered the job, I told the Attorney General that I would not be willing to argue any case on behalf of the state of Illinois that uh, in any way abridged the right of choice, Mm. and that someone else would have to handle that case, that I would not, as a Solicitor General of the state, take that case on. And I had worked in the Carter administration, and Sarah Weddington, who was the lawyer who argued Roe versus Wade when she was quite young. She was, I think, it's still in her 20s Wow! when she argued that case. Um, and I called her to say, I need your help. I want to persuade the Attorney General of Illinois that he should support choice. And she helped prepare me, and I really, and he's a strict Catholic and firmly believed in it, Uh, in no choice. Right. And I persuaded him that there could be circumstances like your daughter is raped. He says, well, then we we would take care of it before it had quickened, and that would be okay. I said, no, she's left unconscious, and you don't find her until it's too late for that. Hmm. Then what would you do? And that's when he went, oh, I can't force her to bear that child. Right. So, you know, I think there are still arguments that people of good conscience can say, I can't do it, but it doesn't mean you can't. Right. And I, I'm, I'm appalled by the Dobbs decision, but I'm more appalled by the concurring opinion mm. of this Thomas that does put in jeopardy any right that is not enumerated in the Constitution, any right, basically eliminating all substantive due process rights that are incorporated in the 14th to the states. Yeah. That, as you mentioned, means that same-sex marriage could be eliminated. It means that the right to contraception under the right of privacy could be eliminated. It means that same-sex sexual relationships could be barred. Um, I mean, imagine being in a country where the right to contraception in marriage is denied.
1: Yeah, or the right to contraception outside of marriage.
2: Or outside of marriage. I I mean, look, I I think think if they went down that road... I mean, it's (laughs) horrible. It's just terrifying. And then, you know, eliminating the uh, administrative state, which has been a long goal of the Republican Party, came true today when they said the EPA could not take certain actions, that it was up to not them, and it was only up to Congress, which can't pass anything these days there's no yeah. bipartisan we
1: got a real we got a real governance problem in this country we do the, legis- the, the, the legislative the legislative branch has basically been dormant for 50 years mm-hmm. and 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 the executive branch has i would say too much power because it's been basically taken the legislative power and the the court has acted like a super legislature
2: that's a, that's the worst part of it yeah i mean and that's because there's been a vacuum and they've filled it yeah and now they have spent all this time working to get the conservative majority that they now have. And Democrats have been ignoring how important the court is. And I hope the lesson is now learned that elections have consequences and that Democrats are going to have to come together to make sure that there's a majority so that the next justice appointed is appointed by a Democrat and confirmed by a Democratic without or... Well, Uh, Any kind of filibuster or anything else?
1: I think that the Democrats have an excellent chance to hold the Senate. And I think it's because of of Roe that they have that chance. And if they could pick up a seat or two, maybe they could pack the court, frankly. I don't think that the current configuration of the Senate would allow them to pack the court. But I think if they had 52 or 53 votes, uh, pack away. Uh, You know, because
2: I'd like to call it something different. I have a hashtag on Twitter called Say This Not That. And packing the court has a bad connotation. Mm. And this isn't packing the court. For example, the court workload and the population of the country has dramatically increased since we decided on nine judicial circuits. Yes. There aren't nine anymore. So we should have a justice for each of the circuits. Well, there you go. Talking about taking, you know, they filled illegally, I believe, two of the seats. So do I. And so, you know, do we deserve those two? We do. But I'm not saying on the basis of that. I'm saying on the basis of the court's workload, we should have at least two more justices. Mm. And they should be appointed right now. And I mean, before the midterms.
1: Doesn't the Congress have to act, though? Wouldn't the Congress have to vote to expand the court? Yes, it would. So the Congress would need to vote, just as they expanded the circuits, they would have to expand the Supreme Court, and the House of Representatives would do it tomorrow. The Senate would would not. They would filibuster it, and you wouldn't get the votes that you needed to break the filibuster at this moment. I don't think. Maybe that's changed. Um, maybe some of the justices who've been lied to by the—maybe um, the, some of the senators who've been lied, lied to by Kavanaugh and Gorsuch—I mean, I don't know that Amy Comey Barrett lied— but Kavanaugh and Gorsuch sure as hell did. Uh and you know, maybe they say, All right, you know what? Uh we're gonna we're gonna take a do over and we're gonna put two more on there that are gonna balance you out.
2: Well, as I say, I would put it in grounds of there's a reason to have two more besides the fact that they cheated. Yep. Um and yes, they did cheat, and yes, there's justification, but that's sort of retaliatory revenge as opposed to this is a well thought out thing. And then we should move to a system, we're the only country that has lifetime appointment of judges that can overturn legislation. Yeah, And we shouldn't be the only country that does that. It's creating serious problems.
1: Well, that would require an amendment to the Constitution.
2: Well, it would, but that's, you know, everything is possible. And having term limits is not a bad idea. I think that... You no, can't. I agree.
1: I think there should be term limits. I think we should have. they should have like a 10-year term. I, I think this lifetime appointment nonsense is ridiculous.
2: Right, and but it has to be done in a way that every president gets to appoint yep. justice because that's how the court will reflect the current political realities. Yeah. And, you know, Donald Trump lucked out. I don't know very many...
1: Uh, there are two-term presidents president that don't get...
2: Had had they, George Bush two had two... ...presidents who've
1: had three appointments. George Bush was an eight... Eight-year president, he had two. Yep. It's it's insane, Jill. I'm out of time with you, which is also insane. I know you're going to be on TV everywhere. What's your what's your Twitter handle? Where can people find you?
2: At Jill Winebanks is my Twitter handle. I hope they'll follow me and uh, look at the podcasts that I do because they're both really interesting.
1: And if you're watching MSNBC when anything legal is going on, you're going to see Jill Winebanks. She's fantastic. So. She is a treasure. And she's one of the smartest political legal minds in the country. Jill. Thank you. Thank you.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com investing in america
1: i'm chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive check out a new episode of the aggressive progressive podcast every tuesday you know the election is heating up just as the year is winding down Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I hope you liked that interview with Jill Weinbanks. Make sure you check out her podcast. Um, She's pretty good. good. Hashtag sisters in law. That's the name of one of them. IGEM Politics. Uh, You definitely want to check her stuff out. Uh, she's got a book out, too, called "The uh, Watergate Girl. It's been out for about a year. Good read. You want to check that out as well. Uh, and, of course, watch her on MSNBC. So, finally tonight, I told you last week that I had had um, COVID a couple of weeks ago. And I recovered uh, fully. And, you know, in, in that five days after your quarantine, you're supposed to wear a mask when you go someplace inside. And I got to tell you, I was quite annoyed. Um, I didn't go out for most of the time I was supposed to wear a mask. I just stayed home. Fortunately, I was able to do that. Didn't go anywhere where I had to be inside anyway. But I did have to vote on one of those days. And uh, it was a primary day here in New York. And I went out to vote. And I put on a mask. I actually put on an M95 mask. And then I put a cloth mask over it. Man, I was getting some looks, man. I got to tell you. I felt like saying, yeah, I'm not wearing this for me. I'm wearing this for you, idiot. Because uh, I also went to get a bagel after that. Because I hadn't had a bagel in like 10 days. Because, you know, my wife doesn't like, I guess they don't like going to the bagel stores. I'm the one who makes the bagel runs in this house. So I went. And, uh, yeah, the looks I got with that mask on. I was like, all right, that's it. No more. I'm not going out anymore. Because it's <laughs> just I had like one more day. Uh, till I got to day ten, and I was like, "I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm doing this for their health." And uh, you'd think that they'd be appreciative of it. Went shopping at one point, had a mask on. It was like people looking at me like I was crazy. And you know, this the, the politics of that is just disgusting, right? The politics of of people with masks are disgusting because, quite frankly, I think when people are sick, they should either stay home or wear masks when they go out. Uh, I think they should stay home, personally. Um, but if you can't stay home, maybe put a mask on. Maybe that's not such a bad idea. I mean, we always we know that uh, you know, in Asia, that's pretty commonplace. People who couldn't stay home but were sick, or maybe they were just recovered and didn't want to infect anybody else would put a mask on out of common courtesy. No, but here, you know, there was a big orange guy who said you shouldn't wear a mask and Ron DeSantis doesn't think you should wear a mask. So masks now are frowned upon, even if you need a mask. Let's say you have your own health issues and you're concerned about catching something. Oh, you know, you're going to get dirty looks. So I, I was kind of, I was more than a little annoyed by the way I was treated when I wore a mask. Uh, you know, you know, very late into COVID, obviously. I mean, here we are. It's 2022 and I just got it for the first time. Uh, but I, it was very, very, I I, I won't say I'm surprised by it but I really didn't like it. And uh, I blame the right wing for that politicizing a piece of medical equipment that could actually help people live their lives even if they, you know, may be a little sick and they don't want to infect anybody else. So screw you for that. All right. Well, happy 4th of July. You know, I think it's time for us as progressives to reclaim patriotism. I don't think that the right wing is patriotic, quite frankly. I think... Patriotism means making America a more perfect union to hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and to give them equal rights, including a woman's right to do with her body as she chooses. Whether you think abortion is a sin or not, it shouldn't be the state that makes that choice. It should be a woman and her doctor. So... Anyway, I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.